Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View, your source for news on Vue.js and great dad jokes. My name is Steve Edwards. I am the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today, I have with me as guests Jeremy Tomlinson and Rich Kurtzman, excuse me, from Fathom, a new hosting platform. How are you doing, fellas? Doing good. Thanks, Steve. Doing great. My Thank pleasure. All right. And we cannot forget, we also have our studio audience. So say hi, everybody. How you doing? Hey, guys. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's always nice to have a studio audience. It gets lonely otherwise. So (laughs) we are here today to talk about Fathom. But before we get started there, uh, fellas, why don't you give us some introductions, who you are, what you do, why you're famous, and so on. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. I'm Jeremy Tomlinson. I'm the director of engineering at Fathom. I've been with Fathom for about 12 years now. I started out on the engineering team as one of our main contributors, and I've transitioned to our director of engineering. And these days, I spend more of my time discussing, planning, and reviewing work for the team. And I grew up as an Army brat, so I've lived all over the States. I'm in Colorado now, and I spent some time when I was a kid in Germany. And so I'm really into soccer, and I love horrible gummy bears. And my name's Rich Kurtzman, originally from Denver, Colorado. And, you know, here in Colorado, we love the outdoors, and I definitely do. Fishing, hiking, camping, all that good stuff. Speaking of Colorado, I've been a professional writer for about 12 years, mostly writing on sports, including the Denver Broncos, who, you know, they're going to be good this year. But been with Fathom for about seven months now as the brand communications person. And in that role, you know, I work on content creation, spreading the word about our fantastic offerings and always looking to collaborate with other companies. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me. So as a Colorado College alumni, all I have to say about Denver is DU sucks. (laughs) Uh, well as a colorado state university alum okay good i'll go with it (laughs) yeah cc was a small school but we had division one hockey and du was always our biggest rival so oh that's great and then the national (sighs) champions last week. i know i know yeah (laughs) anyway okay so let's talk about fathom now to be honest and and don't take this personally but when you guys contacted us that's the first i'd ever heard of it and so i was surprised when you said it had been around for 12 years uh, to be honest. So want to give us a little background either on what Fathom is. And I guess what I'm more curious about is what differentiates it 
from some of your other more well-known platforms like, say, Heroku or Netlify or any of the other uh, uh, well-known ones? Cool. Well, and like you said, you know, in the past 12 years, we started out more as an IoT company. And so we have a background in IoT. And as we started, you know, kind of struggling and learning the, the ins and outs of cloud technology, whether it was AWS or Microsoft Azure, we started building other tools to help us automate, you know, some of the stuff happening in the cloud and trying to build tools so that some of our, you know, junior engineers could get in and help contribute. So it wasn't just all of our senior engineers doing this stuff. And so, you know, kind of as a whole, we like to think of Fathom as an innovation acceleration engine. You know, on the hosting side, we help companies get their web projects up in the cloud. Right now, we're specifically focused on Microsoft Azure, and we have a platform for controlling cloud costs so you don't get hit with, you know, a crazy bill at the end of the month. We help with scale, security, DevOps processes, you know, like CICD pipelines that continuously build and deploy your applications. And yeah, in terms of, you know, comparing us to Netlify and Vercel and some of those, you know, I think we're very similar. It's, you know, we... We're not tied to one cloud and we're very much, you know, thinking of the developer and, you know, companies first. Yeah. And along that same route, I would say we're always aiming to lower the bar in terms of what it takes to host or build a website through our Fathom platform. And Jeremy kind of touched on that, but we're, you know, we allow people to use no code tools, low code tools, or you can use JavaScript frameworks. So you can use Vue. Certainly. Nuxt, definitely. But if you need to use a no-code tool, you're fine to do that. And they all fit in our modular front ends, which many people have heard of micro front ends. And that is what we were referring to our platform for a long time. But we have recently kind of rebranded as modular front ends because we do not go down to the component level. But we can talk more about that as we continue on. Okay, so bigger picture, you talked about Azure and AWS. Do you have your own hosting, your own infrastructure, or are you just sort of a layer on top of hosting on top of an AWS or Azure or Google Cloud or something like that? Yeah, we sit on top of those clouds. And we worked with AWS in the past. You know, now we're focused on Microsoft Azure. And so we have a shared cloud. Uh, I guess part of our environment up in Azure is our shared cloud. And so people that sign up for our free accounts and stuff like that, they're initially just in our shared environment up in Azure. And then we have technology and drag and drop interfaces so that if people want to set up custom infrastructure in their own clouds, we can make that happen also. But from the user, is it transparent? Is it, is, excuse me, transparent? In other words, to them, all they know is that they're hosting their project with Fathom and the rest they don't see? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, yep. gotcha. So, but can they choose now? You mentioned you had worked with AWS and now you're working with Azure. So does that mean you've completely switched over or you can use both or how does that fit in? Right now, we are only up in Microsoft Azure. We're a Microsoft partner. Okay. And so we, you know, we started with AWS when we were doing like with our IoT background. And then just over time, as we became a Microsoft partner, we transitioned over to Microsoft Azure. Oh, okay. Understood. Understood. So let's talk about, you start talking about modular front ends. Can you explain what you mean versus say micro front ends? I mean, obviously they, they both start with M, so they have some similarities. <laughs> Right. But uh, the micro is more size and modular is more how it's divided, I guess. So so what do you mean by that? Rich, do you want to take this one and I'll kind of provide some color commentary? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, 
basically one of the misconceptions about micro front ends is the way that the architecture is actually working, at least with us. So in the original definition of micro front ends, and we were working on Martin Fowler's definition, which was written back in 2019, it's kind of more common to break a single page, say the home page, down into multiple components. So maybe one person or one team is working on the this button over here and another person is working on maybe this this uh, picture over here and it all comes together in a container in one page but that's not how we do it and so in our modular approach each page or route as we like to call it and um, Jeremy can really explain this a little bit further you know they're all working on their own and basically each page or route can be developed and worked on by a, a different developer or a different team and so very much like micro front ends, you have individual, independent, and smaller front ends. Like I said, multiple teams can work on their projects concurrently. So if you have a small team like we do at Fathom or at other small startups, you can get a lot of work done with each person kind of working on their own task and then coming together for the whole. These modular front ends also mean smaller and incremental deployments. So since you have multiple teams, it means that one team isn't necessarily waiting on another to push their deployment. You also have smaller code bases. And you know, that just means it's easier to maintain and change them. It's also easier to find and fix bugs. And the modular front end approach also allows you to scale as you need to. And yeah, we're, we're huge on them. And Jeremy, what else? Uh, uh, one thing how I think about modular front ends is in the back end world, you know, we had microservices and microservices, you could kind of create them in whatever language you wanted and you would provide an API endpoint. And that's how the front end or, you know, really anyone could interact with your microservice. We're doing the same thing for modular front ends. You know, modular front ends are also, you know, like Rich said, we, you know, we have these routes. So you might have your site, you know, like fathom.com. And then off of that, you might have a slash dashboard. Well, that slash dashboard, that's your route. And then under your route, you can have one or an unlimited number of pages or apps stacked under that route. And those routes and those pages, those are the equivalent to the microservices. And so they can be written in any language that you want. They can all be written in the same language if that's what you prefer. But, you know, it, it just very much provides the flexibility on the front end that we've always had on the back end. So, okay, I'm still trying to get my head around this. So you could have like a blog. Can you combine multiple frameworks across one application with yeah. its own route? And, and that's some of the power, you know. So let's say, again, I'll use fathom.com as an example. Your slash blog could be written in Vue. And then you can have slash docs, and that's in Docusaurus. You know, you can have your slash dashboard, and maybe that's in Nux.js. And so you can kind of pick and choose based on the strengths of your team members, you know, what frameworks you want to use. And if it's just one person, you can still divide up, you know, the these different routes, and you could create them all in view if you want to. But now you can have different repositories that you're storing each of these routes in. And now it does it, it avoids things like dependency uh, conflicts, you know, different versions of libraries and stuff like that you, that you might be including in one repo, where if you're in a monolith and everyone's merging their code back into the monolith, there's, you know, I've been in teams like that. And there's just lots of headaches and, you know, just lots of kind of pain and suffering around trying to figure out what version of a certain dependency that we're going to use. And now being able to break things out into different repos or even NPM packages, it just provides a lot more flexibility and less chance of you stepping on someone else's, someone else, uh, another team's stuff. 
Okay, so that's what you can do, but do you have to do it that way? I mean, if I have just a simple, you know, you you raised the case of Nuxt. If I have a Nuxt app that's just you, you want to know, you want to use it. Uh, what's the term? Universally, where you have a a node backend running, and so it's dynamic as compared to a statically sent, generated site, for instance. You can still have all your routes and you know URLs within one app instead of having a separate one divided yep. by separate projects, right? Yep, for sure. And, and the great thing with that is we do some of that stuff like that too, Steve. Is we we have a number of routes, you know, maybe in one application. But then just if you want to break something else off, like uh, a different feature in the dashboard or something like that, you can put that on its own route. And now if you need to use, again, different dependencies or a different framework that's maybe more suited to that task, you're able to do that. And from the end user point of view, they have no idea that it's not part of your monolith in that sense, because everything's just running on routes. They're not running on subdomains. And so from the end user point of view, if you build things with the same look and feel, your users have no idea that you're you know, kind of switching between these things. Right. So it's transparent to the user. Hmm. Okay. So one of the uh, articles you've written here recently, and since this is a view podcast, we should probably talk about this. You've got a blog post on how to deploy deploy view sites on Fathom. Now, I haven't had a chance to read through this in detail, but are we talking basically of USBA in this particular uh, blog post that you're talking about? And so it definitely could be, you know, it's we don't discriminate in terms of what we host. It's we do everything from a monolith down to micro front ends or to these modular front ends. It's very much, and like even Rich was talking about, like no code tools. It's we can host any and all of those those situations. Okay, so it sounds more like you're geared towards an enterprise, right? Who's somebody who has a large enough application and a large enough either team of engineers or teams of engineers, as the case may be, right? Where you need to split up the work and be able to handle different parts of your application with different teams or different tools, as you mentioned, Docker source versus a JavaScript framework versus whatever. Is that correct? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages to using all these different tools. And so by giving people the freedom, which is one of our company values, to choose whatever tool they want to use, well, if you have a small team, then you can allow them, you know, like me, for instance, I don't know how to code. But if we're using a no-code tool, then I can run the blog and I can produce it myself. So basically, you're going to be able to leverage your team members and get the most out of them by using different tools and different applications. Now, if you are a large enterprise like that, and Jeremy might want to talk on this a little bit further after I'm done, then yeah, you could use React, Vue, whatever framework that they're comfortable using and for whatever reason. I mean, obviously, React is incredibly popular. Vue has become a lot more popular in recent years. And so if you have a React developer, they can build that page out of React or the whole the whole um, structure, basically, or architecture of the site. So yeah, it basically just gives teams more flexibility to kind of use whatever they need. You know, like if you're looking to use or to create something lightweight, like for instance, we asked one of our developers who specifies in React to use Svelte because Svelte, you know, can make a lighter weight page. It He was able to do that. And it was a way for us to illustrate how our modular front ends work. And then, you know, we wanted it to be lightweight. So it ran quickly and easily without big downloads or anything like that. Now, obviously, we have had pushback by people saying, well, if you use React in multiple of these routes, isn't that going to slow 
slow down the site. It's possible, but that's why you can also kind of play around and use these lighter weight ones or, you know, spas or static site generators, etc. And the thing I would add to that, Rich, is that, you know, we work with all different size companies. So we work with small startups, you know, we work with medium sized businesses, as well as enterprise customers, and they all get the same benefits from this stuff. You know, it's very much our platform is designed so that based on the strengths of your team, you know, we help bring those to the forefront. And you're not, you know, limited by a language. Again, like when Vue and then Nux.js came out, you can start building new areas of your site, you know, with Nux.js, and you don't have to go rebuild everything else. You know, you can kind of start with your new stuff. And then over time, if you want to rebuild stuff, you can, but you don't have to rebuild your entire monolith with Nux.js just because you want to try it out maybe on your dashboard or something like that. So are we limited? I'm look. I'm reading through your, your uh, documentation at fathom.com slash doc. And so you've got uh, under deploying, for instance, you have uh, frameworks, Angular, React, Svelte, Vue, and site builders like Plasmic and Docosaurus. What about other, say, static site builders? Like, for instance, when I've been working with is Astro or 11D or some of the more, you know, specific static site builders that aren't necessarily big old frameworks. Are, are those hostable as well? Or are you we limited to the some of the framework stuff? So the only thing that we've seen uh, just differentiation or things that are different on is just how we build those projects. And so when you're setting up your project, you provide the build command, you know, and any other commands that we need to, you know, run. Like essentially, if I was downloading your repo and I was trying to pull it up in Visual Studio, you know, what do I need to run your project? And so you have to like inform our platform on, you know, what we need on that stuff. But outside of that, no, we can run any of these different different frameworks. Okay. And then we, we've talked about Vue and Nux. So just to be more specific, so Nux, obviously you can run, you know, in a couple different ways. Nux 3 doesn't quite have the static capability, but I know they're working on it. But the idea is that you can either do a static or dynamic site. So a static site where you build it all, generates all your HTML and you upload that and that's it. And then you got to rebuild it if anything changes versus dynamic where you've got a backend running that dynamically generates your data and like a node backend, for instance, I think that's the default. Yep. And next is you can run either of those settings or structures, excuse me. Yep. Yep. That's correct. And right now we don't have a user interface for uploading all of your backend code, you know, or setting up your APIs and stuff like that. You know, we can do that stuff manually for you. But if you have that stuff, you know, up in the cloud somewhere else where your front end is using those APIs, then you can bring your front ends to us, you know, just, you know, today. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Okay. Well, I mean, the back end, the node stuff is, you know, it's part of Nuxt. It's just how you run it, right? So that's I mean, I haven't done any much dynamic stuff with Nux, just static mostly, but that's all, it's all self-contained. It is. Yeah. And we have Nux sites up on Fathom right now. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, you know, in that sense, 
most of the stuff, that, at least the next sites that I've built, it's more front end stuff. You know, I don't have stuff stored in a database and things like that on the more dynamic side of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the stuff that I'm referring to. You know, we don't have a spot right now where uh, you can, you know, connect to a database up in Microsoft Azure and set up your tables, you know, or, or set up some of your APIs and stuff like that. We're working mm-hmm. on those types of features. But right now, it's more of like anything that you can set up in your Nux project, you know, in Visual Studio, and then you push to your GitHub repo. That's all the stuff that we can host today. Okay, so let me throw you another scenario then. And this is a framework that I like to push because I've had the guy on a couple of times and I use it myself as Inertia.js. Are either of you familiar with that? I'm familiar with it, but I've never built anything with it. Okay, so for those that maybe haven't heard me talk about it before, Inertia is basically glue that that allows you to create a monolith with your own pieces. So it sits in between your front end and your back end. So your front end, it has adapters for Vue, Svelte, React, Angular, I believe. And then back ends, you can use Node, you can use Laravel, you can use Ruby. And maybe they're in the community might have adapters for something more. So the way it works is from the view front end or from whatever your JavaScript front end, there's library sits in between and it hijacks your post requests, sends them directly to your back end, and then your back end sends the data, ba- data back at, as props. And it, so that way you're not doing the browser refresh. It's just instantaneous. It's really quick. So my stack that I like to work in with is view on the front end and Laravel with MySQL on the back end. Right. So I just write Laravel as I normally would with a slight modification to send stuff back as inertia as compared to, you know, to Blade or something like that. So that requires Laravel in the back end, view on the front end, and then MySQL. So that's the kind of stuff you're saying would require a little more uh, custom setup on your end to be able to, to work with something like that. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. And it's all stuff that, you know, Microsoft Azure supports. We just don't have a, like a UI in our platform at the moment Mm -hmm. to support that stuff. And so it's more of we have to log into the Azure portal and set that stuff up manually, Mm -hmm. which we have done for clients. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the more point and click stuff that we have available today is more for your front end based stuff. Gotcha. Okay. So for some little coming, someone like me coming in using your, your free tier, you're probably not going to want to do that versus an enterprise customer that's actually paying for your time, right? You know, it's, we're still trying to get our platform off the ground in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we definitely have a support team that can go above and beyond to help people on our free tier too, for sure. Mm, okay. Our thought on this stuff is that if we get, you know, people kind of hooked on the free tier, then they'll want to move up, you know, and, and do more. And that's why we also, we don't want people to be stuck in our shared environment. Mm-hmm. You know, if at some point you want to provision all the stuff from our shared environment over to your own Azure cloud, and now, you know, you're getting the bill from Microsoft at the end of the month, mm-hmm. you know, we can do that too. And that's definitely more, we have more enterprise customers that want to do that. Sure. But, you know, we have that path forward. All right. So you're so you're still working through yeah. the Fathom UI and it's just hosted behind the scenes on, on Azure? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And I think Jeremy did mention it, that we will be working with AWS in the future as well. So there will be an option for and, and Google also, you know, right now we're kind of just listening to our users mm-hmm. and, and we have a number of users in our shared environment that really don't care. They're just trying to get stuff up in the cloud. They want a URL. They want to, you know, map their custom domain over to us. Mm-hmm. And and really, they, you know, we have a number of people that came to us because they were worried about some of the cost management features up in Azure. You know, sometimes you put your credit card down with a group and you're just using it and they're not really showing you how much it's costing. Like they're right. showing you in 
you know, storage or whatever it might be. And then at the end of the month, you know, you get a bill for 10 grand. Right. And we had that with one of our teams. We got a bill for 40 grand at the end of the month. And we were like, yo, what happened? And they were like, well, we didn't know how to scale this stuff. It wasn't running fast enough. So they kept scaling stuff up things up, not knowing, you know, what the repercussions were on the cost side. And so now we have, you know, kind of levers and some things in place that help us protect users from that, you know, that want to be in the cloud, you know, that want to like harness some of that power in the cloud. Uh But now we can provide, you know, some gates and some things around that so that you're just a little protected. And, you know, if you're paying, like if you move up to one of our paid plans and maybe it's $8 a month, you know, you're not getting charged more than $8 a month at the end of the the pay cycle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there anything, since we're, again, on a view podcast, is there anything, anything else view specific to talk about that? I don't know if it's unique. I mean, it's a framework like the other ones, JavaScript framework, because I know you've in notes here, we talk about view sites on Fathom and how we support them or blogs you've written. The other couple of blogs that we've written, one was kind of just a overview of some JavaScript frameworks that developers do mm-hmm. know or should know. Because we've had a focus on getting the individual developer to sign up over the last six months, and we've done really well. We have over Mm 29,000 signups currently, and we are uh, shifting our focus over to enterprise customers as well. But, you know, one of the blogs that we wrote was for JavaScript frameworks you should know. Uh, They were Angular, Mm -hmm. React, Svelte, and Vue. Kind of an overview on those. And then we also wrote one on how you could build a headless WordPress with Vue because, you know, we've done a lot of research on CMS. And the one that's being used the most, obviously, is WordPress. But according to Jamstack survey, which we also wrote about, you know, popular CMSs, headless WordPress is the third most popular solution currently. And so if you wanted to, you could create a headless WordPress using Vue and all the, you know, great features that Vue has. So, but that's something you would support. Again, going back to what you're talking before, is that something you sort of set up behind the scene because you don't, you don't have the UI for someone to host that or would, would they like host it somewhere else and just connect over the API and with authentication and so on? Yeah, that's more of what it is. Yep. So all your stuff, like WordPress is acting as your CMS behind the scenes. Right. And then we're hosting the view, the front end stuff. And then, yeah, you're connecting to WordPress APIs behind the scenes. Wherever you have it hosted separately. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then obviously you have more flexibility with view than you do with WordPress. And you have to have a lot of plugins when you're using WordPress a lot of times. And sometimes those can fail. They're third-party plugins and stuff like that. So if you're really familiar with Vue, then you could probably build something more functional, more beautiful than, you know, the templates that you get at WordPress. So that's kind of the uh, the benefit there. Yeah, I you know, a little bit of background. I came from the Drupal world into Vue. And mm-hmm. while I was there before I had, you know, quit working in it a few years ago, Doing the same thing with Drupal was a very, very, very big focus. Drupal sort of got dragged kicking and screaming into the headless space, but now they've, with their latest uh, versions, they've, you know, wholeheartedly embraced it and, you know, headless Drupal. There's a buddy of mine has a company that focuses on e-commerce for Drupal and they have headless stuff with React and Vue and they've done it themselves. So yeah, it's not just WordPress. I'm, you know, obviously I think what WordPress has a third of the internet or something right. like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, with those people out there, they're going to want to take advantage of that. But yeah, the CMS world is is large <laughs> in terms of headless CMSs that have exploded, you know, since Angular came on. So there are many, many tools out there other than WordPress, for sure. I and like I, meant- I use Prismic, you know, I've looked at other ones, too. Prismic is one I'm just a little familiar with. But yeah, that's that gives you quite a lot of flexibility in terms of, 
you know, where you can go to host your data. Yep. And you mentioned Netlify earlier. Netlify has a CMS. And so we have another blog on, you know, how to use a front end of your choice to connect to the Netlify CMS. Yeah, I was just looking at that. I saw that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So any other uh, features of Fathom you want to talk about? Any other tools or something you guys provide? So on the platform, a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff that we already mentioned, you know, we help develop, automate, manage just all of your apps in the cloud. All of the, we have the DevOps processes, you know, and CI CD pipelines for hosting, securing, scaling, continuously building and deploying your apps, whether it's a, a GitHub build or an NPM package, you can use any version of those. And so you're not always tied to the latest. You know, if I put out, you know, I push a new build and it, you know, everything, uh, my GitHub actions run and, you know, everything builds, I can deploy that latest version, you know, in Fathom if I want to. But at any time, you know, if I'm testing this stuff and it doesn't work out, I can roll back to a previous version. Uh, Another great thing that we love about our platform, since everything is route based, is you can set up a QA route in your production environment. And now you can do QA testing in your live production environment. And as long as you're not linking to any of those QA routes or paths on your main site, your end users have no idea that you're doing some of that, you know, front end testing in your production environment. But now, you know, it it avoids an entire integration environment that you might need to set up. And, you know, our QA team, it's just been hugely, you know, popular with them. Because again, they can choose any version that they want to deploy, they can deploy feature branches, and it's just very much provides an environment so that you can, you know, test things in production with your production database and see how they're going to react with your front end. And then when you want to take it to production, you decide what version you, you want to take out there. Okay, so when you say testing, that mean it sounds like what you're saying is that's what the user is actually seeing. It's almost like A-B testing, if that's an accurate term. But you're saying make your QA stuff available to your users and using them as for the testing? Or? Uh, well, you definitely could do that. And, you know, we do A-B test stuff, you know, to see. And we use more, you know, Google behind the scenes to do some of that A-B testing. Like, that's more, I think, on our marketing type stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think more of, like, I can put, let's say one of my engineers is working on an update to our dashboard. And they're working off a feature branch. When they push that feature branch up to GitHub, once all the builds complete, we can come into our, again, if we're using fathom.com as an example, I could go to fathom.com slash dashboard, then I could do slash QA, and I could host their latest feature branch build on that QA path. Maybe it's dashboard test after that slash QA, now it's dashboard test. And I can point to their feature branch, any version, any build version of that feature branch, and now we can test it live. And our end users have no idea that it's there because those QA paths are not linked to anywhere in the UI. And so it's really only the QA team manually has to type in those paths you know, in their browser to get to them. And then once they verify and they give a thumbs up that everything tests out correctly, now we can, you know, the, the QA team can work with our, like our release team, and they can kind of show which ones they've given a thumbs up on. And our release team can now take those builds and put them into production, which our end users would then see and interact with. Right. So you're talking about CI/CD. So is that basically replacing something like a Travis CI or Circle CI? That's where they're actually running that through? Yeah. So it's continuous integration, continuous delivery. You know, some of that is with the, the GitHub Actions. You know, so that every time someone does a, a commit from their local where we're continuously building your your code just to make sure that it's running correctly and that, you know, there's no build errors and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we can have Fathom set up to automatically grab, grab that latest build for you if you want to have that continuous, you know, delivery. 
but that's where the, some of the beauty comes in is you can tell Fathom, no, I don't want you to automatically grab my latest stuff. I will manually go in. And if I want to, I can update to the latest. And if I want to, I can roll back to a previous version. Right. Uh, okay. So now you mentioned GitHub. Do you all support other uh, Git repositories like GitLab or Bitbucket? We don't at the moment. It's on our roadmap. Uh, today, we support GitHub and NPM packages. Okay. And then as well as zip files, you know, things like that, if you just want to, you know, bypass source control. Right. Oh, okay. And Jeremy, do we want to talk a little bit further about Fathom in the cloud and uh, virtual developers? Yeah, you know, we definitely can. You know, some of our virtual developers, we're just handling things that developers and more senior developers would have to handle, you know, behind the scenes, you know, especially up in Azure, you know, so I think it's setting up Azure resources, configuring those resources, all of the above. That's some of the stuff we're handling. So you're saying that's what you're handling for for these teams that normally their people would handle? Yeah, yeah. And it's all stuff that, you know, our senior engineers were having to keep track of. And then as Microsoft would release updates to these tools, you know, our guys would have to get in there and level up, learn all the new features. And now we just have a couple members of our team that have to learn those things. And then they, you know, they write code that manages that stuff. And so now out the Fathom end users, you know, just have no idea about that stuff. Microsoft could be releasing updates to Cosmos DB or to different, you know, blob storage or, you know, whatever it might be. And now you as the end user, you know, all that cloud stuff is kind of out of sight, out of mind. And we have code that automates all that stuff. And like Rich said, we refer to those like as virtual developers so that now, you know, you can kind of extend your team with our virtual developers instead of have, you know, having live developers on staff that are Azure experts. So that, so then your team can just focus on what they need to focus on. Yep. And now we have a few guys that kind of have exactly. to get in. And we always talk about those guys, the the cloud experts, like they're dealing with that pain and suffering. And, <laughs> I and think we that's a good to, term. <laughs> it is. And we used to have to deal with that collectively as a team. And now it's just a couple of guys that, you know, they, they love that stuff. And so, and they're reading all the Azure blogs and they're in all those, you know, forums and stuff. And as things get released, they're like, they're eager to get in there and learn, you know, that stuff backwards and forwards. But where the rest of our team just wanted to use it, now the rest of our team can just use it. And our virtual developers, you know, our code behind the scenes can just manage all that stuff for us. And, you know, those people that do want to learn that stuff, they can. And, and, and you know, a lot of Fathom stuff is open source so that people, if they do want to get in and contribute, or if they do want to get in and make changes to this stuff for their enterprise, you know, or for their company, they can do that. But, you know, for people that don't want to have to deal with some of that stuff, they don't have to anymore. I know as a front-end developer, I surely would not complain about that, to put it mildly. Oh, man. And, and it's the same on the IoT side. We do the same on the IoT front. And it used to be a full-time job for me, is just maintaining that infrastructure. You know, maybe IoT devices are connecting and they're sending too much data and maybe things go down or there's like a buildup in one of the resources because it's not scaled up enough to let enough data flow through. It's, you know, it's a 24-7 job to monitor that stuff. And now, you know, not only on the hosting side, but on the IoT side, you know, we have virtual developers that are running in code that can monitor that stuff, that can auto-scale stuff up as needed. And it's it's just been a godsend. It's been great. On the IoT side of things, our platform is called IoT Ensemble. And, you know, it can be used by DIYers all the way up to enterprise-level people or companies. And really, if you're a DIYer, you could be connecting your SparkFun little gadgets. You know, we wrote about how you could garden better with a soil moisture sensor from SparkFun, another Boulder company, or any. There are multiple different companies you could go through to build that hardware. 
And then you could connect up into IoT Ensemble to be able to retrieve all that data. And similarly, um, IoT Ensemble works with, you know, the enterprise level people on the industrial IoT side of things. So manufacturing, automation, we've worked with breweries in Denver. We used a temperature sensor that actually, you know, saved Crazy Mountain Brewery from having to waste a whole bunch of beer because their temperature wasn't correct in the middle of their brew process on the weekend when no one was there. Well, luckily, our sensors, you know, sent them an alert through IoT Ensemble and the brewers were able to come in on a Sunday, you know, and save that whole batch of beer that would have been wasted. And I mean, the uh, the examples are kind of endless in terms of how you could use IoT Ensemble for an, for, uh, an enterprise level customer. Actually, you just answered my question <laughs> where I was going because you had mentioned that you started out in the I- IoT <laughs> world. So let me ask you this then. I think you mentioned this before, but just to make sure. So Fathom basically came from wanting to provide the tools for your own people to handle their own front end deployments and and yeah. use cases, is that correct? Very, so in other words, you're scratching your own itch. Yep, yep. It was very like selfish in that sense. You know, we wanted these for our team to use. And then as we built them, we were like, well, we should offer these to other people because we know they have the same headaches. Again, the same pain and suffering that we were dealing with. We wanted to share the wealth in that sense. Well, that's really weird. I've never heard of that happening in the open source community before. <laughs> so that's very unique. Anyway, <laughs> excellent. All right. So before we move to picks, anything else uh, you want to cover that you want to talk about? Well, one thing, one quote that we like to use kind of internally in our team, and again, it kind of comes from that, you know, the the pain and suffering of doing some of the stuff in the cloud is that getting technology right is challenging, but getting it wrong is costly. And again, like we mentioned, that $40,000 bill we got at one point. Being a Microsoft partner, we were able to call up Microsoft and kind of like find a happy medium on that bill that they helped (laughs) us, you know, work through. Right. But, you know, it's when you when you set up this cloud technology wrong, it can be costly and it can be something that scares people off and makes people want to, you know, avoid the cloud. And again, being a Microsoft partner, we want to help bring people to the cloud. We want to make this stuff easy. We want to help you control costs. You know, we want to help you get up in a shared environment so that you can test the waters a little bit and then you can start scaling out, you know, and having more confidence that you can do this for your company, you know, whether big or small but just in a more controlled way. Yeah, I I can think of horror stories. You know, I've heard of, of, you know, going back to AWS's early days and people were discovering, you know, scalable infrastructure, infrastructure and you only pay for what you use. And then you get some guy who's got some small app or website and he gets hit with a slash dot effect, if anybody remembers what that oh, was. Oh, yeah, yep. And all of a sudden he's got a bill for tens of thousands of dollars because he didn't have any throttling in place and everything right. just scaled up automatically. <laughs> so so I, I'd be willing to bet that, uh, yeah, I know most people handle that as well. Right. You know, it's There's scary. safeguards for that. Yeah, and it turns a lot of people off, you know, and it, it kind of, you know, was starting to turn our team off until we were, you know, getting better at just wrangling it, you know, and, and learning where all those control checkpoints are. And, you know, as once we learn that stuff, we realize, well, now it's some of our senior guys that know how to do that. And if these guys leave our team, we're going to be in a bad place, you know. And so what we started finding is, hey, the more that we can automate this via code, now we're not tied to different team members. You know, team members can come and go, but our company can keep going forward, you know, in the cloud. We're not losing that IP just because some of our senior engineers that knew this stuff forwards and backwards, now they're gone. You know, now we've abstracted it into code, which we call virtual developers that handle all this stuff for us. Well, that's also, I mean, that's basically infrastructure as code, right? Is yep, that the exactly. same thing? Yep. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard the term virtual developers. I was thinking of a 
hologram sitting at a desk and typing or something like that when you met virtual developers. (laughs) And I think that's some of the language that we use internally, you know, and we've started to share it in some of our blogs and stuff, but it's, we've definitely kind of view Fathom of, we use this stuff first. We kind of use these terms, like we're using modular front ends instead of micro front ends, because like Rich said, we're not trying to bring everything together in one page. And so as we kind of come up with these things, we're just, you know, kind of putting them out in the wild and seeing what people think. Excellent. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All righty. Well, with that, we will move on to picks. Uh, Picks are things that we like. We like to talk about uh, that may or may not be tech related because we do have that lives outside of tech. At least most of us do. Right. So uh, I will let uh, you guys go first because you mentioned that you had a couple things. Yeah. Rich, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. So, you know, some of my picks, we talked about Jeremy and I in our preparation for this podcast. Some of the TV shows we've been watching. My wife and I just finished Sopranos for the first time. Fantastic show. You know, I've been binging on Star Trek Discovery, big Trekkie and nerd myself. But I heard you, Steve, on one of your po- previous podcasts talking mm-hmm. about The Mandalorian and my wife and I just had our first baby. She's two weeks old. And I recently just posted a picture of her, her eyes <laughs> squinting. And uh, I thought she looked just like Grogu, me. right? I saw that where yeah. that was going as soon as you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely use the hashtags, you know, the child and Grogu. All right. So, and as far as my dad joke goes, like I said, we just had our first baby. And, you know, I gained some sympathy weight, you know, as one does. And my friends are now saying, man, you have a dad bod. But I just keep reminding them it's a father figure. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a classic. That's a classic. Excellent. Um, One of my picks is, Mm -hmm. again, on the show side, I'm also a Trekkie. And I've been getting into Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I don't know if anyone's watched that yet, but it's, you know, there's a couple seasons out. And it's oh, really? Yeah, my wife's a huge Trekkie, except she never really got into the, you know, the original. But, you know, Next Generation and Discovery and Deep Space Nine and, yep. uh, you know, she can tell you what episode it is in the first minute, you know, just from having watched him so much. Enterprise, the one of Scott Bakula. Yep, uh, yep. I like that one because he was a former water polo player, which I was too. So I was like, woohoo. But uh, yeah, she knows <laughs> all of these. And so what's this new one called again? I'm sorry. Yeah, Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Okay. And it just came out, I believe it was this summer. And yeah, it's been great. Oh, I have okay. a couple episodes left of season two. Is it on Paramount or where is it? It is, it's on Paramount. Yep. Okay, Paramount Plus. One of the multitude of streaming services out there, right? Yep, yep, we have a number of them. Excellent. All right, so for my picks, I will start with a shameless plug. Very shameless. I just... Just this past week, Monday, as of this recording in mid-August, the final chapter in my course on called Next Three Essentials was released by View Mastery. So kudos to the View Mastery team. Those guys are awesome. They put together a great product, got to tell you. Very polished. And in particular, uh, shout out to Daniel Rowe, who I've had on this podcast a couple of times to talk about Next Three and what's going on since he is part of the Next Core team. He was a huge help in helping me make figure some things out with next three so that has been released and bonus at the end of each episode not on youtube i don't know why but at least on view mastery i tell a dad joke at the end of each episode we call them cringeworthy dad jokes so <laughs> go check that out if you're interested it's very basic with the idea that you get something basic then we can build on that 
uh, later in later courses if we go down that road. And now for the dad jokes of the week. Uh, you know, I'm, I keep my eye on science, you know, and discoveries, in particular astronomy, cosmology, that kind of stuff. But I recently read about a new element that makes people around, makes people around the element very serious. But unfortunately, it's no joking matter. <laughs> you were talking about uh, sports. And ironically, this is sort of relative or excuse me, relevant, excuse me, to Denver with their with Russell Wilson joining the team this year. Good thing. Right. Uh, oh, great. Right? Yep. So what do you right? Huge. So what do you call a person missing 75 percent of their spine? A quarterback. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then finally, what is worse than raining cats and dogs? Anybody know? Nope. Hailing taxis. <laughs> taxis, yes. Anyway, that is all we have for this episode of Views on View. Thank you to Jeremy and Rich for joining us and talking about Fathom. And I'm going to go spin it up and try it out myself here a little bit. And until next time, we'll talk at you on Views on View. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Fantastic. Thank you, Steve. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.